The Dev Community is a platform where developers share ideas, programming advice, and tools. Ben Halpern started it after running an extremely successful Twitter account, creating numerous humorous tweets for developers. He still runs that account. One way to describe Dev Community is as a cross between Medium and Stack Overflow and Reddit, but it has its own personality. So I recommend checking it out. It's dev.to. There's a link in this episode. The dev community was open sourced. And in today's episode, we talk about the challenges and the opportunities of having an open source social network or platform or tool set. And we talked about his plans for the future and where he is taking the dev community. Ben is an entrepreneur who tries a lot of different creative experiments and creative projects, and so his perspective has always resonated with me. And this is an example of a project that is really taking off. He's got a lot of traction, he's doing really well, and, and Ben has been on the show a few times before. We've talked about the state of developer media and side projects and the identity of the software engineer. And I think Ben and I met at similar times in our lives about three years ago or so, where we were each having some level of success in our careers, but we wanted to start something. And I think we're both happy with how things have worked out, both of our experiments in developer outreach and business building have worked out. And to some degree, I think Ben would agree with me, it's it was a matter of conviction and taking a plunge and being strategic about that plunge. So we've always uh, gotten along well. So it's enjoyable to have him on the show, and I hope you enjoy it. Ben Halpern, you are the founder of Practical Dev. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. We've had you on a couple times in the past. We met about three years ago. You had this Twitter account with a lot of traction, and you and I were both thinking about media for developers, social media, news media, essentially the types of content and the types of conversations that developers wanted to consume what was your outlook on developer media back then, about three years ago when you started tweeting a lot? Yeah, so my general outlook just has definitely evolved a little bit since then. I think at the time I was in sort of exploratory mode. I felt like the landscape was best kind of like confusing, unhelpful, or just generally could be improved. I feel like I I have a hard time even like looking back on that time without like totally like painting a bit of a narrative fallacy on the whole thing. So at the time, I was really just a blank slate. I was really thinking more about the software industry itself in a way than like how everything really fit together. But I also separately knew that I had a pretty good handle on the media landscape and just kind of like how people are interacting and maybe where things are going. So it was a little bit of everything. It's hard to like really put myself in that in that exact mind frame anymore because it's just a lot has happened since then. Okay, so in the present day, as there was back then, there are the distribution channels and then there are the actual source channels. So the distribution channels like Reddit 
Hacker News, and then the actual source channels like Quora, Medium, or New York Times, Washington Post. Uh, these are all different forms of media that developers consume. There's also Stack Overflow, of course, that's more like a reference manual. What were the gaps that you were seeing back then, and what are the gaps that you continue to see today? Yeah, absolutely. So this is all sort of framed kind of the way you're putting it in terms of your universe, which is perfectly fine. It's definitely, I feel like you can attack this from different angles. So in terms of there's the input, there's like how I want to express myself as a developer. There's like the tools I might use to do that. There's the the different components in terms of like where the audience is, how much do I actually care about the audience compared to just like, am I doing this just for my own self? Am I, what does the software development industry need to work? Like media in our industry is a lot different than other industries because it's really like, it's like marching orders a little bit. Like you hear about what's going on in a certain community or a certain technology and you know what you are supposed to do with your life. So the landscape has always been a little bit all over the place because software developers are a little like herding cats. They're very opinionated in certain ways. Like there's an XKCD about like, you know, even in after the singularity happens in technology, someone's still going to want to connect via IRC instead of whatever the other platform is. So like there's just a very human element of chaos in software development. And, but we also are sort of early adopters of a lot of different platforms and the whole thing winds up being a little bit of a mishmash and that's definitely still the case. But I thought that in some capacity, we were all using platforms that were not like you know, really built for our needs and really designed around our particular use cases. But they also like, we we don't want to use these like hyper-focused dashboards and stuff where we want to kind of use the same thing other people are using in terms of just simple inputs, editors, like, you know, social media kind of patterns and stuff like that. So on that front, that was definitely sort of where my head was at. I, and I, I felt like, frankly, it wasn't the most groundbreaking ideas, but I was the right person to do it. And I think that's what really got me excited. I felt like I, I had a good grip on the the whole problem and from the like, you know, an idea of the landscape right down to like the capacity to code it up real good. <laughs> so at the time, my ambitions were, I think, like less. It was a side project. I was really just trying to scope out the situation, spend my time in a way that was interesting and fun. And also just kind of, you know, throw myself out there into the software industry. I think before I even started this project, I was you know, basically totally anonymous in the industry. I had about 100 Twitter followers. I like didn't necessarily put myself out there in any way in software development. I just kind of followed the trends. But I, I kept growing more and more towards the idea that I did have a lot to offer. I had like a perspective, a background that could really help things. And I wanted to reflect that in not just like a personal blog, but a real project that was devoted to um, this space. One thing that you and I have talked about in the past is the problem with narratives around what a developer is, what a developer is supposed to be. Historically, these narratives were shaped by corporations or by university computer science programs, or more recently by Y Combinator or Product Hunt. And in actuality, there's a much wider spread of what a developer can be. 
Does the practical dev represent a different narrative around what a developer should be than some of these pre-existing narrative structures? Yeah, so before I specifically get to that, I want to emphasize that we typically have dropped practical from like what we talk about, except the Twitter account and our kind of social presences and stuff. I feel like this is perfectly good material for the show just to talk about this. No, that's, um, that's good because I, I am an impractical dev. So now I am more welcome <laughs> yeah, so in this community. I really did start the whole thing. Just like I wanted to get some practical ideas out there. The practical dev seemed like a good name for the whole thing. It's still kind of like what we call ourselves, but it evolved really naturally from there. I developed this logo that was just DEV in all uppercase. So that's kind of like how we talk about it now is, is dev all uppercase. But then we also, everything is really centered around the platform, which we call dev2, which is dev.to, and it's pronounced dev2. So for a long time, I just let people talk about us however they wanted to, because, you know, it's their thing, not mine, like how they describe us. It's, it's really not really me to say. But recently, I've just started like correcting people and just saying, call it dev2 if you're talking about the platform or dev if you're kind of talking about the whole thing. Our official incorporation is Dev Community Inc. So that's kind of like where we are. We're a dev community. So just that that's an interesting point. Uh, depending on where people got looped in on the whole thing, they naturally just, just say dev or, you know, practical dev. It's, it's all good. I just felt like I've been on a mission during these podcast appearances to really give give the canonical name so so we can say dev2 or dev anyway what was the question sorry (laughs) (laughs) no absolutely i'll acknowledge your rebrand from here on out but the question was around the existing narratives around what a developer should be and whether dev community represents a different narrative around what a developer can be or what a developer should be yeah absolutely and there's there's always kind of a ton of pressure in every space to like really fall in line or like follow the leader and, and stuff like that. In this space, that's like a really sort of a fool's errand because every different situation is different. There's so much you can do with software. You can really fit it to whatever like your lifestyle is. And maybe that's not like an opportunity to like sort of retire to the beach for everybody if that's the lifestyle you want. But if you're interested in sort of being exploratory, working hard, there's like really every possible space, there's space for everyone in this in this industry. And a lot of the narratives are like written by the most famous popular developers or by sort of hashtag thought leaders who who don't necessarily live the life every day. And there's absolutely a ton of room for individuality for just everybody really being themselves. And the whole industry is so much more mainstream now. Like Jeff Atwood came on your show like forever ago. And I remember he said like, you know, the geeks kind of won in a sense, like software became like a the biggest thing in the world. But then it also got distributed. Like everyone can do it. It's not quite there yet, you know, in terms of like equitability in the industry, but like that's where we're going. And, and my entire sort of part of the industry is trying to help things actually reflect the, the the mainstream element. It's it's not, things aren't done the same way they were done in the 90s or the 2000s or the 80s or, or any time before. It's always evolving and things are, things are right out there in the open. Like, you know, my parents' friends might ask me about some particular software thing. They probably just heard it on the news, but it's it's happening. You know, like this is all like pretty mainstream and, what, and our job is a pretty normal job that like every company has 
you know, at least if they don't employ software developers, they work pretty closely with them if they're at if they're of any size. So software is obviously a huge deal. And there, yeah, there really aren't any solid in like single narratives that if they ever existed, the uh, it's we're trending towards a much more just like software is just a part of people's lives and a part of like a lot of different types of people and there, there definitely is no single type or, or narrative or path it's 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 really you know there's you get benefits from coming from all sorts of different directions and i myself like have a long and tumultuous relationship with software and technology i've been interested my whole life but i was in and out of of how much i was interested i took some cs in college and then i dropped out and then i like took the degree I had and went to do a job and I really hated it. So I got back into software and this, it finally stuck because I got like really into the certain type of stuff I wanted to do. And yeah, like that's the kind of freedom and, and experience that I, I really want, you know, to try to push forward. And, and this project dev two is all about like how I felt like I could contribute with my software skills as well as like the other things I worked on and, and the other skills I built up over time. So Absolutely. That's a really good way to kind of like, you know, describe my purpose for some of this stuff. Your process of getting started with Dev2 was not completely straightforward. It was a matter of you running a number of different businesses. Uh, I think I think just two business or one one business and then you started Dev2 and then we're kind of going back and forth between these two businesses and then ultimately your hunger to run dev2 one out and you transitioned full time to it what was the process of making that jump in kind of shuttering the other and i think the other business had some traction like significant traction and you had to kind of give up this thing that had some traction to go all in on dev2 tell me about that internal debate and the process of making dev2 a full-time thing for you yeah, a lot of it had to do, you know, with the various people in my life I was committed to one way or another. I have good professional and personal relationships with everyone like involved in all of that stuff at the time. There were a few things that made transitioning to Dev2 the obvious choice in the end. As, as much as everything else was going fine and like, you know, in some ways Dev2 is such a sort of atypical business like the other stuff we were doing was like you know SaaS. it was really easy to kind of explain to people like in some universe it was like very straightforward nobody questioned like what i was doing with my life if i was working on like more traditional stuff like where software is just like a very obvious part of the ecosystem and like my software development but but a couple things so i definitely you know became over time um, more and more impassioned by this whole thing like this is really like how i identified to people, I, I would often go to conferences and tell them, you know, like they knew me from the practical dev, you know, more so than anything else. But I kind of had to tell them like, well, like on the badge, it, like it says I'm doing this other thing. And, and I was, you know, very involved and I'm still working with those people. What we wound up doing was we uh, we just switched. I sort of gave this we merged the companies. I gave up a lot of my equity to work with the people I was already involved with. And it all was awesome. But uh, yeah, at the time, it was very like. I didn't really know what the outcome would be. I remember reading a blog post by Saran Yabarak from Code Newbie about how she went full time on it, and that really emboldened me, emboldened me a little bit. Like, I wasn't sure what she was doing with her, you know, software development community, but knowing that she left Microsoft to do that full time, and she lived in New York at the time, so I got a cup of coffee with her and talked about it. 
And that really gave me, at that point, I wasn't even sure I was considering at a true business. I don't think I'd uh, even, I knew I was like keeping my options open, but that was really early and that really helped me. And then I met my, one of my two co-founders, Jess Lee, I was the first kind of person to be helping with the project. And she brought uh, a ton of discipline and a ton of skills that were not necessarily my forte, which really helped us like get beyond the project stage. Um, she just brought a lot of skills. And then we just, we were still, this was a side project, but when we launched on Product Hunt, we were number one, you know, like it's just internet points being number one on Product Hunt, but you can't do any better than number one. Like all these are all signals back to us that this should matter. And that's when Peter, my partner in the other business came and got involved. And we just kind of had to, we realized like in every way that the world was captivated in some way by what we were doing and we had to give it everything we had. Like it was much more really doing better things with dev than we ever could have been doing with our SaaS business. And, you know, based on my own personality and where I come from, my family, I actually personally had a harder time justifying to people why I was working on this SaaS business. Because like my mom said, that's so boring. I can't believe you're spending your time on this. And I kind of like agreed with her in some capacity. And that's funny, like a lot of people have the reverse influence from their parents, but I just have like my own background and stuff like that. And I'm sort of the black sheep of the family in that, like, I have a desk job of some kind, like everybody else is doing weirdo kind of crazy stuff, except my brother who's been doing music his whole life and now just recently got into software. So I kind of push him that way. Anyway, so it's all just, you know, a personal journey, you know, it takes you where you need to go. And last when we started, this as a full-time real, real business. And we've been growing like crazy ever since. So the thing about these community kind of businesses is the margins on advertising revenue is incredible. Like you look at Facebook, for example, as the extreme example, and Facebook puts pixels up on a screen and charges advertisers for putting placements on those pixels. And that's a really good business model because it doesn't really cost you much to display pixels on a screen and you get paid dollars for them. On the other hand, you have to reach a certain volume in order to be able to deliver advertising that does sell well. And also there's a big question of whether advertising is a bubble and whether Google and Facebook will just capture all of the advertising. But there's also the other side of things where subscription-based businesses are getting much more viable on the internet. People are more and more willing to pay for stuff. Maybe they're willing to pay for a community. Maybe they're willing to pay for other value-add services on a community, maybe some kind of premium content or premium features. How are you thinking about the business model of dev? Yeah, so to this point, we've really sustained ourselves with a couple of different things. And I think we're always going to be a couple of different things-driven business because ultimately we're a community platform and it's, it's not always so straightforward. But to this point, we've really sustained on a few big sponsors. And we really do differentiate between kind of like a sponsorship model versus an advertisement model. We give a few like, you know, big presence announcements for our sponsors um, as they get on board. And then we, we sort of like let their, their presence be sort of known as a, as a contributing sort of sustainable partner for the community. But otherwise, we don't do a ton of like display advertising or anything like that. And then we do have what we call a sustainable membership with a sustaining membership, which uh, which some people have gotten involved with, which is just a, a way to get like a few key features, but not otherwise not um, 
it's not a like you know necessarily driven by the features but more so just a uh, willingness to help support the the project and, and really just kind of like get closer to the founders like uh, take part in a few sort of smaller groups but ultimately we continue to evolve what we're doing our vision for the future is really driven around you know really additive services for a software development career so and that's really the way i've started thinking about this in the long term is that we're a career services organization so everything we do in terms of like people's presences on the platform the the profile they're building the sort of network they're creating within our community within our platform within our network is really, you know, they're building their interests and their hobbies, but they're also building their careers with us a little bit. And so we're working on things that that really aid that, you know, in in the education space and also sort of the sort of placement space and everything. And this is all very much just kind of an ongoing effort to really do things nice and, and, and in a way that really respects everybody's, you know, like interests and like where they want to be spending their time. So like, when I talk about placement and careers and stuff like that, the last thing we want to do is just like let recruiters on the platform to like annoy people. So, you know, we've been building in some features where people can opt in to just working with us for placement when they're ready and then opt out when they don't feel like it and some other little things. And, and that's all really the most exciting part about what we're doing from a business model perspective. Like it's all fairly experimental. That's kind of how we work. We don't really try to map the whole future out before it happens. But but we've been, you know, creating some good partnerships and, and really uh, doing this in a way that people actually have been just you know, every user that's gotten to work with us in this capacity has been just awesomely successful and happy about the whole thing. So when when everyone involved is like so excited to be involved, that's when we know we have a winner. And in terms of the the closest thing we've gotten to that point in the sponsorship kind of area has been uh, contests. So we we've done one official contest and we're working on a few more, but they've really been really fun. People have been absolutely like totally excited to get involved, and the organizations we've worked with have like have been over the moon about like how much mind share they they created by taking part in in one of these contests. And so, you know, a few things are working. We really lean into what the most smiles on people's faces and stuff. And we've discovered really what works for us. So the last thing we wanted to do when we embarked on some sponsorships and some other revenue generating stuff was to lean into it to feel like we that's the kind of part of the business we had to optimize for. So we took a good sort of healthy approach to that, but then we tried to look elsewhere to expand on the business model. And and that's where we are today. And that's where like the most excitement lies in terms of our future is that we didn't let ourselves get too tunnel visioned on the like easiest way to make money right away, but we've been exploring and it's been like, it's been incredibly awesome. And I just happened to be talking to founder of another sort of more well-known company than ours. And they, they just happened to mention that they found, you know, a great employee on our site, just like through the natural kind of stuff we do in terms of like where people can kind of indicate they're looking for work or little things like that. I didn't even know that happened. They just, just kind of like, it just kind of happened within the organic minimal stuff we've always had as features. And that's great to hear. And, and we don't even always have a lot of vision into what's going on in these capacities, but we, we often get these awesome stories. So it's just been like, it's just been kind of magical. And like, and that's why I sort of like have a hard time even like looking back to the beginning, because I truly feel like we've, um, we've just been like observing our own community and really being helpful where we could and then kind of letting them tell us what the world was like, especially since we're really a global community, like we're, it's, uh, we'll often get stories about like, you know, my situation as a developer 
in Nigeria is just a little different, but I have a lot to offer in these specific capacities. And it's just been, you know, just a pleasure to be a part of this whole thing. And I'm, I can't believe how much more fun I'm having with this than, than the other things, which were perfectly good businesses, perfectly challenging engineering opportunities. And I liked all the people involved, but this has been so much more fun. Well, there's an anecdote I remember about when the Reed Hoffman was, was raising money for LinkedIn and he would pitch the company to venture capitalists. And when he was pitching the business model, he would lay out four or five different revenue channels, none of which were working on the day of the fundraising. But if you fast forward to today, they're all working. So you look at LinkedIn and it's kind of bizarre because whereas a company like Google or Facebook makes almost all of their money through one channel at one specific advertising channel. Well, Google advertising is broken up into into several different components, but it's like 70% or 75% of it something is is the search, like AdWords. But LinkedIn, if you look at the pie chart of revenue, it's like it's like four significant chunks. It's recruiting, it's some subscription sales services, it's advertising, it's premium subscriptions. So LinkedIn has all of these different channels uh, that they make money on. And you can kind of imagine something similar happening with dev. If you manage to get the snowball of developers, of, of developers communicating with each other, expressing their interests, which are highly correlated with professional interests and professional opportunities, and maybe even if it's not professional opportunities, it's capacity to buy high-margin developer services like cloud hosting or SaaS or you know Stripe for payments or something like that. Uh, there's so many different services you can sell to developers. So there's a lot of different things you can do if you reach that critical mass of developers. And I think the other interesting side of it is, I've heard you talk about this a little bit, you can also just build your own tools to offer to developers. Like There's no way that GitHub and Stack Overflow are the end point of developer productivity across the internet. I don't know what the next manifestation is, but you know, every it seems like every year there's some new tool that comes out that's like, oh, I want this in my workflow, whether it's Slack or Asana or I don't know, Airtable looks kind of interesting. But you know, you could definitely imagine networked productivity tools emerging from practical dev, especially given the open source virtue of it. Do you have any ideas for what form those productivity tools might take? Yeah, so that's definitely like really in line with, uh, it's, I think, a very obvious path for some of this stuff. And, and especially going back to kind of what you said about the different different revenue streams, and then that's definitely how we see it. We try to think about things in at least conceptually like bigger buckets so that even if uh, even if one element has kind of a subscription thing and then also like some other kind of component, we try to at least conceptually bucket things so that it's one idea for the user and the members. So that's why career services is kind of a bucket which kind of encompasses a couple ideas in terms of training and placement and stuff like that. So, But then, yeah, like I have been thinking a lot about the kind of tooling stuff and where like, you know, 
networks and productivity and these things all kind of like spin together. It's something I've uh, purposefully like not gotten too far down the rabbit hole because, you know, we just like have enough on our plates right now. But I don't want to really give any of these like any more weight than the others. But our platform really is like a, a, you know, a screen you're going to be using. So any kind of monitoring, any kind of alerting systems, we have a, a kind of more custom holistic kind of platform than a lot of general purpose tools like like Slack or things like that. So like, the more we can really like build just the kind of situation a software developer might need. So people come for the networking and the greater opportunities, but there's also a lot of their own kind of workflow, which which we expect uh, could could fit nicely in terms of logging and monitoring, but also just kind of implementing sort of SaaS services in kind of a unified authentication concept. So there's some companies that do this already, and there's um, there's certainly a lot of platforms that do this. You know, we're hosted on Heroku, and if I want to add additional services, they have that kind of built in in the same way that like we could eventually kind of potentially be the center of the universe in some capacity where you can more easily manage your different authentications, your, you know, your identities and different services. But these are all like really interesting cases. And I, I really get excited certain kind of Sunday afternoons, really walking around uh, the neighborhood, just thinking about these kind of things. But it's the kind of thing like I'll maintain a certain worldview, but I don't want to really start building towards this stuff right away. We've been pulled towards building certain things at certain points. So especially given that we're an open source project, we've had more and more conversations with organizations to integrate a little bit more. Like, So when I talk about monitoring and stuff, we're not going to start building every single one of these services ourselves. Like, We're not going to build our own logging tools or, or, or stuff like that. Like today, I mean, who knows what the future will hold, but we can actually integrate at a much deeper level with certain functionality because the fact that we just have our code out there. I've listened to actually a few podcasts about how Linux really operates and how individuals who want to integrate with Linux, like if they want a specific just support system, integration, really any kind of functionality that fits their needs, the Linux folks will talk to a lot of other people. They'll, you know, triangulate on the, the proper path that's going to be best for everybody. And then, you know, they let people build these things. And we've already had that a little bit with our project. So we've had, uh, you know, we have a certain kind of technology we use for search, but we could use other ones. And and there's a lot of pros and cons there. And we I've like, as soon as we open source, like I got a DM from someone who just worked at like Elasticsearch and they, we just kind of talked back and forth about like, you know, and if they ever wanted to specifically, you know, really kind of lean into helping us build a great search engine, like that would be something that like, would automatically make us use their services as a company. And like, if that worked for the community and everything, we would definitely go that route. And we've talked to some other folks who might want to do business integrations. And, you know, some of them, if we agree with the idea, but it's hard to justify like our own time to build it, we sort of say like, hey, you can build this yourselves. I mean, just the other day, I got a DM from a sort of a business customer in a sense, like he's a developer relations person at, at a major kind of developer tooling company. And there's been a lot of ways we've wanted to support them for a while, but we keep kind of like not getting around to building the features they, they really want in terms of just helping them manage their presence on the platform and stuff like that. So he just messaged me the other day, like right on platform. He messaged me through our messaging and he didn't ask whether this feature made sense because we've already had that conversation several times. He asked me like whether this database table makes sense for the PR he's working on. Like he just got around to starting to work on it himself because he he really wants it and we want it too but we haven't 
we have enough going on. So in a selfish way, he's building something the rest of the community will really make use of. And that's so much of the magic of open source. And that's really what took me from being like, a, oh, open source is great. Like, it's cool. It's like, it's wonderful for the world in some ways. But to, to the point where I was so convinced of it's like, if it's power and utility for us in, in terms of building really something like much more awesome than anything we could possibly build ourselves. Well, the model of sponsored features, like Elasticsearch gets to build the search engine for practical dev, and then maybe they get some messaging kickbacks somehow, or you can imagine some integrated dashboarding tool that would want to build some kind of internal dashboard for users of practical dev. And then it says, this dashboard is made by Mixpanel or something. That's kind of interesting. And that's whether or not they pay you, maybe they just build on practical dev as a, almost as a like a way of you know building their billboard within practical dev that's that's kind of uh that could be an, an interesting way of of accelerating the development It'd be some corporate kind of stuff but <laughs> it works yeah well because our process our whole platform is open source it's it's not even that we need to like put their logo on things although we're we'd be willing to do that like just to let people know it's actually kind of helpful as a user to know oh this feature was was built with this like that's that's useful and not that we wouldn't be open to that as as a, actually a pretty useful way to generate money and and also kind of help people kind of um, understand just where things are coming from but we are open source so you, we have a lot of people looking at our code and a lot of people contributing and the they have to use some of these services in order to make their jobs work so just by like being the service provider for us, you get a lot of implicit exposure. And, and ultimately, like, you know, we have a very good thing going. And the last thing we want to do is really do anything that's only for us and not for the community. So the outcomes here are really built around just like, you know, natural good relationships. So this this individual building, basically just like redoing the RSS feed a little bit so that they can kind of post more naturally with their flow um, in a way that like everybody's kind of been asking for, but like we haven't had the like, you know, the space to do it. This is just kind of helping them be better users and helping other people be better users by proxy. And it, it really works for everybody. And developer advocates, like nobody's time is so like specifically devoted. Like, you know, you can you can say that like software development time is very expensive, but the way people spend their time is, is very kind of wishy-washy and abstract. And you can't really like nail these things down super well. So this individual who's kind of like having fun building this feature is is like, is doing this in a way that like, you know, we might have, in a, in another sense, we'd have to like pay somebody a lot of money to help build this. But like, this just really works with their flow and they're building it because they like want to be first to be able to use this kind of feature and, and, and that sort of stuff. So it's all very natural. And there's a lot of, you know, behavioral economics under the hood. But the big thing is that it's been a really healthy part of the ecosystem. And we just consistently want to try to be additive and not like take anything out. And if, if there's ever any kind of question about that, like as far as I can tell, like always maintained that perspective on everything we're doing. And it's really been been great. I think I just went to Medium today and I saw like a particular paywall on a post, which I'm pretty sure that individual was not being paid for my memory. Like Medium is just like, and some of these other platforms, Facebook's always been like this in terms of like 
building out a feature that people get heavily involved with and then just completely like pulling the rug out from under people. And we've just like, you know, completely been loath to go down some of these paths where we're eventually this was obviously going to not work out for everybody involved. So we've been a little bit more conservative about like just our, our, our path. And like, we haven't made like as much, <laughs> I mean, I don't think we've made a 10th of how much money we could have made on sponsorships because that's not how we wanted to like do business in five or 10 years, like exclusively, like it's a part of how we do things. But, um, but we, we know that we're onto something like really fantastic as long as we can just keep a, a devotion to the users. But we also like part of the sponsorships has been a, maintaining our optionality and, and like ability to grow the business how we want to. So like if we weren't making any money and we were just like sort of casting that aside and being like, oh, the money will be there, eyeballs, eyeballs, eyeballs. That's the kind of company that ends up having to take absurd amounts of venture capital and give up board seats and stuff like that. So like we're keeping all our options available and and, and I think we will raise um, some money at some point. But the wonderful thing is that like we're doing this all like in a way where we really are able to build the thing we want to build. And we are able to like give the users like the kind of experience they expect and the and like do that and hold the cards and like keep our board seats. It's a three person board, me, Jess and Peter. And that's going to be the case for a while. And, and, you know, eventually we might bring on a partner who will want a board seat. And we've had lots of people ask us for board seats just for advisory, you know, reasons or whatever. But like, but we really, um, we guard the like fundamentals of the business pretty tightly. And it's been pretty great. And I think I'm like, so glad I have founders like Jess and Peter who like get on board with this stuff, because a lot of this stuff is just kind of me imagining a future I want to see. And they kind of have to like, you know, ask me some tough questions, and then ultimately get on board. Because like, you know, the way we did things with open source and kind of the whole thing was never like this, like, you know, long conversation where like we all kind of came to it collectively. It was just kind of like, you know, the, I had this kind of ultimate idea as things change and as other opportunities come up, like I kind of have to like um, go to them and, and make sure it works. And they can obviously come to me if they have another vision for any, any future. And so my favorite thing is that I think we've built a really kind of healthy company and like a healthy community. And, and I never feel like we have to do something for us that isn't good for them and, and vice versa. So that's a bit, I have kind of gone on a, quite a few tangents. So, Well, uh, the open source aspect of it is is really interesting because a lot of these websites, the thing is, I don't know ad tech well enough to know or I guess I don't know the social websites well enough to know how important it is for their quality of product to be able to track you through the internet. Because that's one thing you're not going to be able to do with Practical Dev since it's open source is the people who are watching the code base are not going to like if you insert some piece of code that tracks them throughout the internet. And that maybe that kind of code is key to providing... Uh, high quality targeted advertisements, but maybe you don't need targeted advertisements. Maybe you don't need to track people throughout the internet. Maybe that's not as important as people believe, or maybe you're you recover from it by having this degree of transparency. That, but that, anyway, that's one microcosmic open source question. When I had Henry Zhu on the show, you you introduced me to Henry, and and it was a that was actually a really good interview. We talked about open source and how open source can be beautiful but also painful. So Henry goes through this with Babel and particularly working with the GitHub 
open source contribution tools, the open source moderation tools as well. Like talking to Henry it really made me think about the fact that GitHub, I love GitHub, it's fantastic, but probably there are going to be some other code collaboration tools or programmer collaboration tools in the future. What are the challenges that you've encountered so far of making a large open source project work? And I realize it's in the early days, but maybe you're already getting some hints of the types of governance issues that are going to be tricky. Yeah, so I think so far, we've been so like, you know, wear our values on our sleeves that um, the the governance or just in terms of some of the management issues have been great. Like we never kind of expect to like rest on our laurels in this capacity. But we've taken a very kind of exploratory view on this. We haven't assumed to know how the future is going to hold um, work out. But so far, I think just our general approach, like the way we've been managing this community the whole time um, really kind of lends itself over to the open source project. People have an expectation about how they should, we have an expectation about how people should behave themselves. Nobody is so important to the project that they get to be an and maintain, you know, like a position with us in any capacity. So we, we've really like gotten, I think, ahead of this stuff on dev to itself. We have, uh, I think, very sophisticated moderation tools, you know, even if they're just kind of simple little like, you know, it's a bit of a combination of crowdsource and the top down admin stuff. And, and, and we, uh, we have a few ways to deal with gray areas and get ahead of certain things. And, um, and so the fact that this has been a kind of core competency for us, I think we're just like, gotten pretty good at some of these things, even if it's hard to describe exactly what it is. And then ultimately, things have gone pretty well. Uh, just the other day, I clicked out to like, someone referenced a different issue in a different project in our project. And then I like, I kind of like went to another tab, got distracted, came back to it. And then I read some of the comments and I forgot that I was on a, in a different uh, repo. And I read the comments and I was like, holy shit, like, what the hell just happened? Why is everyone yelling at each other for no reason? Like, why are people like giving each other shit for like simple, like, like, you know, like, basically, like someone like, you know, included a code snippet, and they like didn't include all the right stuff. And like, instead of just giving them like a pleasant instruction about how they could be like, this issue could be done more helpfully, they like, immediately just attacked them. And I just like was blown away. I was like, so shocked by like this scenario. Like I knew this is kind of how things are. And the shocking part was that I thought I was in our repo. And I was like, Oh, my God, I got to do something right away about this. And then I realized I was in someone else's repo. And I was like, damn, I'm so glad that this is not what, how we're like letting things happen. And we get to we get to think harder about this stuff because we are a business and I get to put all my time and energy into making some of these things work. Whereas a lot of open source projects, like you just don't have the time and energy to make some of these things happen. And you're just doing as the best you can. And Henry's full time, but he's full time on something that's like infinitely more massive than him. And he also has to spend his time just trying to make like, make the money he needs to be full time. And it, it's really tough. I think the open source ecosystem, there's a there's a lot of different things going on. Several components are tremendously sustainable and some are incredibly unsustainable and the whole space is just there's a lot going on and i'm just glad that we're kind of more in this space and not just kind of observers so we can really get to solving some of these problems like we are a company that tries to solve uh developer problems through kind of you know social dynamics through education through like helping people kind of navigate the situations they find themselves in and we are, I'm very happy that we're in this space 
like full steam now and we get to really think hard about what the future is going to hold touch a little bit on the engineering of the project what are some mistakes that you made in the architecture early on and what are some unusual decisions that have turned out to be rewarding what are the the pros and cons of the architecture you chose for practical dev yeah, so I can't speak to anything that seems like a big mistake, but I can definitely speak to things that are worse now because of like the path we've traveled. Early on, I was very consumed with performance and, you know, remain consumed with performance. But on the client, I went with like totally vanilla because I just like wanted to experiment with the concept of like no dependencies and stuff like that. And it was great and it worked for a while, but now we have to really nail down that that part of things. Like some of the code in that area of the code base is just kind of crappy because it's like vanilla, no frameworks, like you're tackling every problem in a totally different way. And like, it's totally a bit parts of that are totally kind of mangled, even if the product itself benefited from some of these decisions. So we're in the process now, you know, working with people to improve things. And I myself, like I am not a strongly devoted front end engineer. I know enough to know like the, like the different um, bottlenecks and the important decisions and like how this all sort of fits together. But in terms of like front end development patterns, like I know how to use the libraries we make use of and I know how to write good JavaScript, but I don't really pay attention to all the, the nuances there. So I'm really being guided by the community and, and really trying to make some good choices there. And as we grow, I hope maybe we might be able to bring one or two people on full time that like truly does have a better grip on this stuff than me. And overall, you just like can't know everything. So there's a few warts where just like, shit, like, I do not have any idea what best practices are here. I'm doing my best. <laughs> and now we're really figuring that all out now. So a few things are iffy, but I'm pretty happy with everything. We are a Rails project, which is like a weird choice for some people because it's not the newest thing or the most exciting thing. But I, I really thought it was a good choice. It's really easy to get involved with if you are in the Rails community. And, and there's some, some onboarding things we need to work out in terms of our own ecosystem so it's easier for people to contribute but overall i think the long term i think things are looking pretty good there even though it's not the most like forward thinking stack you've ever heard of but i'm extremely excited by some of the other organizations that are now on the latest version of rails and are actively contributing back to the rails framework and the big one is github themselves who for a while has been kind of working on a fork of rails and just hasn't been able to be as actively involved in pushing the framework forward. And Shopify, I think, as an organization, has been the biggest contributor to Rails lately. But GitHub is obviously such a big player in open source. And the fact that they're now at 5.2 and actively looking to contribute back, and they have, like, Eileen Yucatel is the GitHub person who's also, like, just central to everything going on with Rails. And I'm just so excited by their involvement in everything now. And I couldn't be happier with the choice um, at this point, I didn't even know this would all come together so so nicely. But look, the the future is just magnificent in this in this project. There's actually like several big kind of community type platforms on Rails, and together, I think we're gonna solve a lot of these problems together. Like it's just, I couldn't be happier. What are the conflicts with Rails or the problems with Rails that you'd like to see addressed in the coming years? Yeah, not a lot of problems necessarily. I think the issue a little bit now is that because 
Node and Go and some other ecosystems have become so popular that there's just not a lot of like it used to be the case in the Ruby community that like everything had a Ruby library wrapper because Ruby was so popular in web development for so long. And now that it's no longer the case, uh, you just can't bank on that as easily. Some of the old libraries are getting a little and like some things are just becoming less and less maintained because it's gone from being a super popular, like everybody's starting with Ruby to being like, oh yeah, like it's got a lot of awesomely maintained projects, but you know, it doesn't have that like gigantic community anymore. So, and then just like running Ruby on your computer, I think is just like sort of more annoying than some other things. And that's always been the case and it hasn't gotten worse, but like some other things have gotten better and that's the difference. I'm personally like, I would love to get our project like just more tightly configured with some sort of contain the container ecosystem and stuff, just so we don't necessarily have to think about some of the underlying issues and then everything can run in a consistent environment. Everything's been fine for our, you know, current process, but as we scale, we I just really want to make the developer experience much easier, much more simple, like much more organized and like better than other things that have come before it. And I have a pretty good idea of how that's going to happen. I just like haven't really had the chance to actually, you know, <laughs> write the code or really give it all the thought I've wanted to. But pretty happy with the future. Present has, you know, its hangups and stuff. But like uh, this is how it has always been a very long term thinking kind of company project, everything. So pretty excited to just, you know, keep developing on it. As we wrap up, I want to get a sense of what amount of vision you're laying out for the open source community. Because I see there's two things you could do. You could just kind of say incremental things to the community and say, hey, if you want to get started as a contributor and get involved and contribute code, there's this bug and this little feature and this other little feature. And you can do these things and, and that'll help you get some traction as a developer. These you know new developer type of issues or you're new to the repo you can get started with these issues but on the other hand as a product centered developer you want to set a higher level vision so that people know where you're going and you know i i totally respect the you know we've got a lot of different opportunities that we can go in some of them could make money some of them might take a, l- a while to make money some of them might be shorter term to getting to money but some of them might require significant feature development now you don't want to get into a situation where you're just developing these big features on your own in the public in the open source community you want to be able to lay out the vision for the big features that you're developing so that hopefully the community will help you out in in building out those features or at least they will they will be aware of those features as you're building them what's your process for setting out a vision in this open source community or are you just trying to let people contribute these incremental changes yeah so that whole element is definitely a bit of a work in progress we have been doing a few things here and there one pattern that's really been kind of working has been myself or someone from the core team will build the start of a feature where it's kind of clear where this is going and then somebody else can kind of run with it. And, and like, you know, we have a kind of version two of the editor, which just is like a bit of an upgrade, make it less buggy, works a little better and is a little bit friendlier. And I hacked that together myself kind of like pretty quickly. And I got to a point where I was like, 
crap, I'm having a hard time getting this like autocomplete to work, like as it's supposed to, like, I know these like last few things are missing, but like, I can either keep working on this, or I can just kind of let this be up for grabs now. And it's no longer to the point where no somebody has to like originate the idea, they get to just kind of like, finish it based on the obvious way the things have been laid out. So that's like interesting. It's like, our core team, which has a lot more meetings and just like, you know, knows exactly where they need to be putting their time, gets working on certain projects. And then depending on the state of things, the community can kind of like take it from there and then they'll hand it back to us a little bit. So that doesn't really answer the question, I think, but that's where things are now. Luckily, I think we just have like a a lot of people who are like understanding and like kind of know that like things are a bit of a like here and there kind of thing. And even with my own team, it's never been my style to lay down a heavy long-term roadmap. It's it's always been a little bit more incremental. So just like we're figuring that out. Like we're kind of working together. We're all trying to like make things work. One sort of longer term vision thing that has definitely been, if there's one thing we've like laid the vision for long-term, it's the reusability of the platform. So that's kind of one thing we really want to get to is that so people can use this platform for their own purposes, you know, If I want to build a community of um, musicians or anything like that, they can build on our platform. And uh, the fundamental difference between us and some of these other like build your own social networks is the fact that it's open source and the fact that it's like opinionated and it's not just a general solution. It's got like a lot of like, you know, hardcore thoughts on the way things are done and things like that. So we're hoping that that will eventually manifest itself. We're always working towards that, like in our vision, but not actively maybe on a day to day. And We actually do have people like people have come to us already, like several people like I want to build this like one person wants to do a sort of like book review social network, you know, kind of similar, you know, the uh, some of the other ones out there, which, you know, came up and stuff. And I I have no idea about their their business model or what they want to do with the whole thing. But I'm more than happy to give 2.0. That would be awesome. I would love Goodreads 2.0. Yeah, so it's I don't really know where they're going with this, but they want to build it on our platform. And they they asked about how that goes down. And I told them like, look, it's going to be a little while before that's going to be a good like thing. Like the word dev.to appears in the code base like 160 times. Like it's not a variable. It's like that, that those letters are in the code base a lot. And as well as, you know, like the about page, it's like written into the code base and like everything else. So the fundamental architecture is just, you know, a, a basic application, but it's going to take a little bit of work for people to kind of, you know, change the logo, make that a variable. Like, and then even when that all happens, people are going to be have to be very in tight in, in very tight communication with the core team in terms of like upgrades and bug patches and stuff like that. So that's a long term thing, but it's really important for us to keep that keep making progress towards that goal because this is an open source project. And as much as people have been very excited to contribute for a lot of different reasons, we don't want to rest on the, that idea alone. We want to give people like a true kind of like personal greedy if they care to be so incentive to to take part in what we're building. So that's just kind of like one of these paths we don't uh, spend all our development time on this but i am actively kind of like laying down the vision in that regard yeah i like the build your own social network idea or like spin up your own social network idea like one click and then enter in some config for what your social network is around and you've got a social network that would be kind of cool yeah and you know 
BuddyPress on WordPress is like one version of this. And like, there's a lot of other things, but you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons for building something that's only for a social network, but it's also open source. So like, that's kind of the difference. Like among the open source things, of course, Mastodon, I think like is, is an option in some capacity, but it's a lot different from what we're doing. And then a lot of organizations built around this, just, you know, traditional closed source ecosystems, which are not necessarily going to thrive in the same way we think our platform will. So it's a little bit of all these factors. Ben, it's been really great talking. I, I'm really happy to see the developments on the dev community and happy to see where you've come from three years ago, hanging out and just ideating. You've put those ideas into practice, which I really respect. Cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Wow. Wow.